Hello and welcome to the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. I'm your host, Larry Witzel. Seventh-day Adventist churches grow differently, and our goal with this podcast is to offer practical training for effective evangelism in the Adventist ministry context. I want to remind you that registration is now open for the 2024 Propel Conference, coming back to Vancouver, Washington, April 28 to May 1. This year, we're going to have a special emphasis on innovation with training tracks on evangelistic innovation and digital evangelism. We're going to have some tech training. But even with all this talk about innovation, we're going to stay laser focused on effectiveness, hearing from ministry professionals who are actually seeing numerical kingdom growth in their churches. You can see all the latest details and register to attend on our website, propelconference.org. So please plan to join us April 28 to May 1 for our next Propel Conference on Church Growth. Our speaker for this episode is Pastor Tim Taylor, Director of Outreach Ministries for the Oregon Conference, where he provides training and support to 130 churches in their church growth efforts. A certified life coach, Tim has over a decade of experience as a literature evangelist, pastor, and conference department director. He earned a bachelor's in theology from Southern Adventist University and a master's of divinity from the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary at Andrews University. And just a couple of weeks ago, he was ordained as a minister of the gospel in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Tim has a really innovative evangelistic mind, and I've enjoyed working with him for the past several years since he's been at the Oregon Conference. In his presentation, Tim talks about the startling reality of missing members and the need to close the back door. He shares how to build a team and how to coordinate the teams working using interest tracking software. He also discusses how to use tools like Mission Insight and the Rainer Scale. Tim offers practical advice on reaching out to missing members, and I think that you'll be able to adapt to what he teaches into your own situation. And we're going to hear from him in just a moment. First, though, I want to mention the sponsor of today's episode, Interest Tracker. Interest Tracker is the online CRM for tracking interests on their way to membership. This free software has been used by over 1,600 Seventh-day Adventist churches throughout North America. It's cloud-based, so you can access your interest list from anywhere, and your entire team can manage your interest list from one central source, so everyone has the most current information. You can learn more and sign up for your free account at interesttracker.org. Okay, let's get to the presentation for this episode. Here is Pastor Tim Taylor talking about reclaiming missing members. All right. Well, today the presentation is called Reclaiming Missing Members. And so we're going to be looking at how we can reach out to to those that no longer are actively engaged in our churches and our communities and see ways that we can uh, reconnect with them and reclaim them for Jesus. Uh, And so the question is, you know, does it really matter to, to reach out to those that have disconnected with our churches? And of course, I would answer that question with a resounding yes. And I think of the passage in Matthew 18 when Jesus says, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. And uh, so we see here that Jesus cares about those who wander away. So I love this passage in Matthew 18 because Jesus is saying when just one person or one sheep, if you will, strays away, uh, you know, does God care about that? 
Absolutely. And uh, I love that, that idea here where it's saying when one wanders away, won't he? You know, that's that question. Won't, won't we reach out uh, and, and search for the others, uh, for, the, for those who have strayed? But when you look at the numbers of missing members today, it's really startling. We're not talking about a lost sheep. We're talking about a lost flock. It's truly remarkable uh, and very sobering to, to look at this. It's a startling reality that in the NAD, the average church attendance is 30 to 50% of the membership. And I see this wherever I go, traveling all over, uh, speaking to different churches. I see, you know, I always look at the membership on eAdventist. Do you guys know what eAdventist is? Yeah, eAdventist is our membership record system here in, for the, uh, for the Seventh-day Adventist church that we use. And I always look at the, the members, and then I attend, and I always notice a big difference between the, you know, the numbers on the books and how many are there in person. Uh, and of course, we were, our attendance was hit significantly during the COVID era also. Uh, and so that's another challenge that we have. Many of our churches are still uh, bouncing back from the impact of COVID. So we're looking at the difference between attendance and membership. Uh, and across the NAD, 30 to 50% of the membership is the average of what the attendance might be when you show up to a church. Uh, and here in the Oregon Conference, from what I understand, from the numbers I've seen and heard, we're right in the, around the middle of that range at about, well, pre-pandemic, uh, I've heard we were around 40%, and then now we're, we're, we're slowly climbing back up to that. We're at roughly around 37, 38%. Uh, and so the question is, where are the other 50 to 70%, right? Uh, and when we attend a church, we don't always think about those who aren't there. It's out of sight, out of mind, right? But uh, we need to be thinking about these things. Uh, and so to keep it to a really practical, in, here in the Oregon Conference, we have a, a membership of 36,598. And if you, if, you, if you split that 40-60 based on uh, you know, the 40 that attend versus the 60 that are missing, that's you know, 14,639, roughly, that might attend on a, a Sabbath morning. And praise God for that. Praise God for those that are engaged and active and, and, and coming out and participating and, and being blessed by the faith community. Uh, but that still leaves 21, almost 22,000 that are missing. This is a, a big problem, wouldn't you agree? The major issue that we are facing. And so when we talk about evangelism, yes, let's talk about opening the front door. Let's talk about how we can bring people in. Yes, but let's also talk about what we can do to close the back door so that we're not, we're not hemorrhaging. We're not bleeding out the people that, that come in. And so we need to be having this conversation. So today I'm going to share with you four simple steps to reclaiming missing members. Uh, they're, they're very simple, uh, but uh, very meaningful. And uh, I, followed, I followed this model as well in my own pastoral ministry. Uh, so the first step is simply to discover who are the missing members. We, we need to know that, right? So how do we discover who the missing members are? Well, I talked about eAdventists already. This is our membership records uh, database. And you can export your complete membership list from eAdventist. So you, of course, have to have access in eAdventist to be able to do this. So if, you are, if you're not a clerk or a pastor, you will need to connect with your pastor or clerk and work with them to do something like this because your pastor, your, your secretary at your church should have access to eAdventist to be able to run this kind of a report. So I'll just show you what it looks like so you can have a, a, an idea of how to run a export of your members. You go on eAdventist, you'll see a colorful menu there on the left-hand side, and you want to go to 
to the blue option there, which is reports and tools, and you want to select that option, and then uh, these sub options will pop up there, and you want to select directories, and then you will select the person info directory, and when that pops up, of course, you want to select the church that you're working with, and make sure to select email and phone, and then you hit that button that says export as CSV. CSV stands for comma-separated values. It basically is a file that you will download that will have all the information for every member that is part of your church. And that file, you can open it in a spreadsheet application or software like Excel can open that file. But it's also, CSV files are also good for importing it importing that data into another tool. Uh, and so, uh, of course, you can use eAdvanist as well for looking at the membership data, but having it, exporting it can be helpful to import it into another tool. And so I recommend importing it into uh, different interest tracking solutions. Now, I know that eAdvanist is coming a long way themselves with features that they're, that they're adding, and so you may uh, look at seeing if eAdvanist itself can meet your needs, uh, but I really like some of these other solutions that are out there, and I love the fact that we have options. So when it comes to interest tracking solutions, a few that I recommend considering is, of course, SermonView's interest tracker. Uh, and so you can keep track of uh, different data for each person. You can import your, your members into interest tracker. Uh, and you'll notice that there is a tags option here where you can, uh, you can add tags to each name. So once the names are all in there, you can go through it, and I'll talk about that more in a moment, but you can tag certain people with certain you know, um, tags. So you might have a tag for missing members or for active members or what, whatever the case might be. Uh, something I like about Interest Tracker is it also allows you to have photos. So if you uh, if you have pictures of people and want to add that, that's a nice touch. It makes it personal that way. And there are lots of other advantages of the Interest Tracker uh, solution. Another one that I like is called Disciples, Disciples Interest Tracking Solution. Disciples also lets you import uh, your your CSV file into it, and uh, so you can you can color code different uh, different names for different purposes. Uh, and something I like about Disciples is it also has kind of the membership side of it baked into it. So it, it does have interest, all the interest features, but it also has the membership side uh, baked into it. And so you'll notice here, uh, this example individual, you can see that their status is already marked as a missing member. But if you go to edit, it gives you all these other options where you can choose you know, to mark uh, your, your members as missing or shut-ins or irregular, visiting, regular. Uh, and so it gives you some options that way to kind of categorize your membership list. And so that's, that's what I did as a pastor. I would, you know, uh, got all the names for all the members, and then we put it into a system like that. And uh, then, then, then you're ready for step number three, and that is to gather the right team to review the complete membership list. So who do you think should be part of a team to review a list like this? Well, I would say your elders, right? Your elders are your caregivers, so I would definitely involve the elders of the church. Uh, anyone with a heart for people, um, you know, you might consider, but especially the elders are good people to involve. Uh, but I would also add to the list, not just elders, but people who have been there in the church for a long time. You know, and I did this as a pastor, especially as a pastor, you know, you're, sometimes you're only at a church for a number of years. And so uh, I've noticed as I've traveled around that it seems, it seems like almost in every church, there's somebody that says, uh, you know, I was here when the church was built or I helped to build this church, right? <laughs> and I encountered somebody who told me that just last Sabbath at the church that I was at. And uh, so you're extra blessed if you have some of those kinds of people around. They've been around since the church was built. 
Those are the kinds of people you might want to pull in for a meeting like this. So as you're going through the list, you can uh, you can ask these questions about these individuals and and say, okay, uh, this you can go for the next name on the list and you say, you know, who here knows anything about this person? And having some people who have been around for a long time, they might know something that no one else knows about that person. They might say, oh yeah, that, that person hasn't been around for 10 years or 15 years or whatever. And, uh, and so it's helpful to have this kind of information. So you want to basically gather a group together, go through the list, and try to collect as much information you can uh, about the individuals based on uh, the people who might know something about these uh, individuals that you're, you're looking at. And so when you're, on, when you're in this team, you can start asking these key questions. Uh, of course, the first one is, what do we know about them? Does anybody know anything about this individual or this family? Uh, you know, does anybody know why they're missing? Uh, is it, you know, when's the last time we've seen them? Does anybody know, what, 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 what do we know about this family or these individuals? Uh, then you can ask, how, how do you think we could best reach out to this person or the, to this family? And then there's the question of, well, who, who should reach out? And then you can start getting organized uh, as far as assigning either the elders or some kind of a caregiver team to reach out to these individuals that are unaccounted for. And that's one of the advantages of using a tool like Interest Tracker or Disciples is these tools allow you to actually assign interests to workers or to members. So you can actually get organized this way and say, okay, uh, who, who wants to take this name? Or you can have a conversation and say, okay, you know, you really seem to know a lot about this, this person or you remember them or you had some kind of a connection with them at some point. It might be good for you to be the one to, to follow up. And so you can kind of have some of these conversations to, to make strategic and intentional decisions decisions about who should be assigned to reach out to, uh, to each person. So those are some questions that you can be asking. Now, of course, the big question is, why do people leave the church, right? Why do people leave? Uh, what do you think? Any ideas come to your mind as to reasons why you think people leave the church? Lack of a personal connection, okay. Anyone else? They feel like nobody cares if they're there or not. Yeah, okay. Somebody said something that offended them. Yeah, absolutely. If they don't like the pastor, okay, yeah, that can happen. <laughs> yeah, sometimes people go through life changes and that can pull them away from their church community. Very good. All excellent um, thoughts as to why people leave. So I put down some thoughts as well and pulled from some resources as to some reasons that are known for why people leave. Uh, you guys hit on many of these. You touched on many of these reasons already. You know, pain, trauma, or broken trust due to some kind of harmful interaction or behavior from a church leader, or a pastor, or elder, or, or whatever, any kind of church leader, or even the members, leading to a loss of faith in the church community. Uh, and so that can happen. People can become hurt or wounded um, or experience some kind of pain when it comes to their interpersonal connections at a church, and that can drive people to leave. Uh, we mentioned number two already about moving away to another location. Sometimes people go through a major life change, and that, that takes them away. Uh, sometimes people get discouraged over personal problems, or maybe they wrestle or struggle with guilt because, uh, you know, they're trying to live up to biblical ideals. So, you know, we're all sinners, right? Uh, and sometimes people can get discouraged about, you know, they might believe they might believe what's right, but they know they're not living up to it, and that can be discouraging, and sometimes people can end up being disconnected because of those, you know, those feelings in their life. Uh, or number four, a growing disinterest in spiritual things because of busyness or simply a neglected devotional and prayer life. Sometimes people, uh, they're hurt or they're wounded, and they're like, 
I'm leaving and it's a very intentional step. Other times people just simply kind of drift, just drift away from the church. Maybe they uh, just stop, slowly stop coming or uh, they stop engaging in their spiritual walk and uh, before they know it, they've drifted away. Uh, number five here is a perception that church is no longer relevant to life or doesn't meet felt needs. I would say this is one that, from what I've noticed, maybe the younger generations tend to struggle with more, or maybe is more of a reason why some of our younger generations disengage with church is a lack of perceived relevance to their life or to issues that they care about. Um, and so that can be a reason why people dis disengage with church. And number six, uh, especially after COVID, they got used to watching online. <laughs> and that's some of the, the challenges that we're struggling with right now in our churches, trying to bounce back from the impact of COVID, is that many people, they said, oh, I can just sit in, at home and watch online, you know. <laughs> and that's why I appreciate what Richie just said, that watching online is not church, right? <laughs> and so it's, it's, you know, praise God for, for online ministry and streaming and all that. that that's needed and important. But uh, that's not church. You know, we got we to gotta make sure that people have the opportunity to fellowship and connect and have community. That's really important as well. Anyway, so these are some of the reasons why people leave. It's certainly not an exhaustive list, but it can start helping us think about, about that. And it's important for us to keep this in mind because sometimes if we're not careful, we make assumptions about why people have left or why people do leave. And it reminds me of the Rainer scale. Have any of you ever heard of the Rainer scale? This is from Tom Rainer. Uh, he talks about the unchurched and how there are different, um, he, there are different people in, in, in different places in life with different feelings and thoughts about God and spirituality. And so he's categorized these individuals, the unchurched, he's categorized them in five different categories with the analogy of the door, these doors. And so, you know, he's saying some people you have that are antagonistic, uh, other people are resistant, maybe the doors open a little bit, but not very much. Uh, others are neutral, the doors, you know, it's somewhat open. Uh, then you have the interested, where the doors mostly open, and then you have the friendly, where it's wide open. And you may encounter these different types of doors, if you will, as you reach out to missing members. You might reach out to somebody who maybe they've just kind of drifted away. And as you connect with them, they might be a friendly uh, and they might say, you know what, I've, I've been thinking about it. I, I really should, I really do need to get going back to church. Thanks so much for calling. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-engage. And sometimes that's all it takes is one simple interaction, one simple invitation. And they're like, yeah, you know what, I'll be there. You know, that's, of course, we hope and wish that all interactions were that easy. <laughs> but that's what you have, you know, more you're friendly, uh, all the way to your antagonistic. Your antagonistic, what, what might that look like? That might be the people that have, have been really wounded, really you know, hurt, and have a lot of strong emotional feelings against the church. And it's going to take some time and effort and energy to, to rebuild some trust with those individuals, right? Um, and so, so don't be discouraged. Don't expect everybody's going to be antagonistic. But uh, don't be naive either to think that everyone's going to be ready to come back with just one simple invitation. So you got, you got to be thinking about these different types of individuals and where they're at and how to engage with different individuals uh, in, their, in their journey. I want to take a minute now to tell you about a tool called Mission Insight. Have any of you ever heard of Mission Insight? 
It's a really powerful tool that we are now leaning heavily into using here in the Oregon Conference. I'm just in the process right now of, of onboarding all of our pastors to using this tool. And this is a tool that allows you to get all sorts of data and information about your community. And so if you're here in the Oregon Conference, uh, we can make this tool available to you through your pastor and through your church leaders. Uh, if you're not in the Oregon Conference, connect with your conference leadership because I know quite a few other conferences are actually now using Mission Insight as well. And if your conference isn't, you might tell them about it and see if they might have interest in using it. Uh, and so this tool allows you to run all sorts of demographic data information and reports on your community. You can run this demographic information based on zip code. So that's what this is an example of. You can run the data based on a set mile radius from your church or from a specific address. Uh, you can also now run the data based on a drive time from your church. And so that's helpful because Mission Insight has told us that their research shows that most people, I think they said more than 80% of individuals, have said that they prefer to attend a church that's within a 15-minute drive from their home. And so that can be helpful to look at the data based on a drive time. Uh, and so what we've done is we've actually ran the data uh, conference-wide. So this is a, a picture of what our Oregon Conference territory looks like. And so we've ran the data across the entire conference. Well, the reason that I'm sharing this with you is because this tool, Mission Insight, it gives you all sorts of information. But there's one piece of information in particular that I want to focus on that it gives you. And that is it actually tells you why the people in your area do not participate in church why they do not engage with church. And I think that's relevant for us as we're talking about reclaiming missing members. And so this is the list for the Oregon Conference Territory of why people said that they are not engaged or participating in a church. Look at number one. It's they say that they didn't feel welcome. Isn't that interesting? It's simple but profound. The need for us to make sure that people feel welcome when they come and visit our churches or engage in any, uh, any activity that the church has. Number two, that's when we talked about already, people move from community, and, and so that's a reason why people sometimes don't engage. But look at some of the others here. Religion is too focused on money. That's how they feel and believe. Uh, number four, I think, is really key. They say that the church wasn't supportive during a crisis or time of need. And I shared this with one of our churches here in the Oregon Conference, and I was encouraged because some hands went up, and as we had a discussion, several church members shared a time in their life when they went through a time of crisis or a time of need, and the church was there for them. And they said, that is one of the reasons that I'm still in the church today. And so that was encouraging and affirming to hear that it really matters for the church to, to be there in support in a time of crisis, in a time of need. So that's, that's very important. Uh, let's see the other ones here on the list. Uh, religious people are too judgmental. That's a, a belief that some have. Uh, of course, some people just don't believe in God. Uh, or they say that the, the, the church is too progressive or moving away from traditional values. Uh, the church has stricter inflexible beliefs. They don't trust religious leaders or simply the demands of raising children. So these are the, the top 10 in our Oregon Conference territory that people have said why they don't engage or participate with church. But if you have access to using this tool, you can run this same information on your area. So you can start understanding better your missing people and maybe why they are not engaged um, with, with church. Now, of course, this is not specific to the Seventh-day Adventist church. This is more just church in general. But you can still glean some insights from this kind of information. So 
So that's step number one, discover who are the missing members. And we've kind of added to that, start wrestling with this question of why have they left? Uh, And then number two, I would say, is to pray over their names. One of the mistakes we can make is to rush off to doing things without really spending time in prayer and seeking the Holy Spirit's power in what we're doing. We need, I believe, so firmly that we need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in all that we do. And so we need to make sure that we're spending time in prayer, especially as uh, re-engaging with some missing members and former members. It might involve some tricky situations, some challenging conversations, and we, we can't afford to do that on our own. We need the power of God through the Holy Spirit as we do that. So some ideas of what to be intentional about in your prayer life. Uh, pray for God to give you empathy and understanding for each person's story and needs. Pray for wisdom and guidance for the Holy Spirit to guide your words and actions as you reach out. Pray for healing and openness for those who may need that. And then number four, pray for a path to be made clear, for trust to be restored where needed, and for reconnection to happen. So these are some ideas of some things that you can pray for. Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but it gives you some ideas of what to go to God in prayer about and for and what to ask for. Uh, And... On this note, talking about trust, I want to take a moment to talk about trust because I think that is so key when we're talking about uh, really everything we do, but also when we talk about reclaiming missing members. There's a brand new book that just came out called Trust, and it's by a gentleman named Henry Cloud. Have any of you ever heard of Henry Cloud? Uh, He's a pretty well-known author. He's written books like the book called Boundaries and things like that, and he just came out with this book. It's called Trust. But notice the subtitle and and see the relevance to what we're talking about. The subtitle says, talking about trust, knowing when to give it, when to withhold it, how to earn it, and how to fix it when it gets broken. Pretty relevant, right? And so we're talking about reaching out to people where trust maybe has been broken. And so I believe there are a lot of relevant ideas in this book, not only for your, your interpersonal relationships in your life, but also for the church when we're looking, when we're looking at how has the church either maintained or broken trust with, with others? And so in this book, he gives five key core elements, essentials to trust. And these are what they are. Uh, the first one is understanding, understanding what the other person needs and how they feel. Number two is a motive, having a motive and intent for the other person's welfare. Uh, and number three is ability, having the abilities and capacities to deliver what is promised. Uh, Number four is character, having the character and personhood to meet the trust requirements. And then the last one, number five, is track record, building a track record that is a trustworthy pattern. And so if you're aware of these dynamics as to what goes into trust, that can be very helpful for you as you interact with individuals that have chosen to uh, disconnect with with church and with the faith community. Uh, And so... Number one, I'd say is so key. I mean, they're all key. But number one, I want to talk about for a moment, uh, taking the time to understand their journey. That's really key. And it's important, now we're kind of overlapping with number two, motive. It's important that we have pure motives, right, when we're reaching out 
to others. So here we're talking about you know, reclaiming missing members, but when we're reconnecting with them, we shouldn't be going with, with this agenda necessarily to, to reclaim them, you know, so to speak. I mean, yes, God wants us to, to do that, but, but we need to make sure that our motive is not, uh, is not with an agenda, so to speak, because especially people that have been hurt and wounded, uh, they can smell an agenda from a mile away, right? <laughs> and so we need to keep that in mind. Uh, and so that's really key. And we could, we could talk about all these, but I'll just touch quickly on the last one, track record. That's also really important, especially your, uh, remember those doors, that, that closed door, that antagonistic people who are in that category, maybe they've been deeply wounded. Uh, you know, sometimes, often I would say people leave the church, they disengage with their faith community, not just because of one uh, negative encounter, but sometimes there is a track record that's being built up of, of pain and woundedness and, and, and negative experiences where they finally say, I've had enough. I'm out of here. Right. Uh, and so when we're engaging with these people, sometimes we need to, to recognize that there might be a whole track record that the church has with them that we are up against in terms of trying to, to mend those wounds and trying to, uh, to restore trust. Uh, and so we need to make sure that we're keeping that in mind, that there's, especially in those kinds of situations, there's no quick fix. You know, you can't just expect that you're going to reach out with one visit or one phone call or one email or whatever, and they'll, they'll be reconnecting with church. Uh, these people need care. They need uh, a lot of, um, you know, uh, of our time and energy and effort. Uh, and so that's just something to, to keep in mind. Uh, but when it, ta- when it comes to motive, I want to just come back to that one for a minute because I want to share with you one of my all-time favorite quotes uh, from the book Desire of Ages. And it's talking about Jesus. And it says, from his earliest years, he was possessed of one purpose. He lived to bless others. Isn't that beautiful? And I always say, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. (laughs) He lived to bless others. And I just think that's so powerful. And so as, as we do anything, in our personal lives and as a church, this ought to be something that we resonate with. And so again, taking that to our efforts to reconnect with, with former or missing members, let us, let us check our motives as we do that and make sure that our motive isn't with some agenda to try to get them to do what we want them to do or to attend an event that we want them to attend or to, to, to come back so our numbers will look better or whatever. Uh, let's make sure that our motive is pure that we can follow the example of Jesus with the motive simply to bless them, right? And if they've been wounded, if they've, you know, uh, have these different reasons, uh, then we need to, to make sure that we're approaching the situation in a, in a context that how can we be a blessing to this person? And I think if we take that attitude, if we take the, the, the mind of Christ in what we do, uh, we're told that when we partner with Jesus, we're partnering with one who knows no failure. And so that is, that should be an encouragement to us. So we talked about the first two steps to discover who they are, ask why they're leaving, and that kind of a thing. Pray over the names. And then number three is to identify pathways for reconnection. Identify pathways for reconnection. And uh, here are some ideas for doing that. Uh, Number one is to follow an evangelism or discipleship cycle as a church. Uh, And so I love how there are different evangelism systems out there. Uh, During this event, we've been learning about the evangelism pyramid. Um, That's one way to look at it. That's one system that can be helpful for evangelism. Uh, Another system to look at evangelism or discipleship is this concept of a cycle. And that's uh, a model that we are promoting a lot here in the Oregon Conference to help our churches to really journey with their communities. We say that evangelism isn't just an event. It's not just a 
evangelistic series. Uh, it's not even a process. It is really a lifestyle. It's a cycle where we, all, we ought to always be engaging in some opportunity to reach our community and, and journey with others. And so I'll talk more about that in a moment. But practically speaking, that means to create or identify non-intimidating reconnection points, especially in the context of uh, reaching out to those that, especially if they've been hurt or wounded, inviting them back to a church service or, or, or something like that, that might be a big leap for them. Uh, but if we have, if the church is offering these more like non-intimidating relational connection points, that can sometimes be much easier for somebody to re. That's a smaller step for somebody to reconnect with. So instead of saying, "Hey, you know, we'd love to see you at church this coming Sabbath," uh, you know, it can be simpler to be like, "Hey, you know, Thursday night we're getting together at, at Gary's house. Uh, we're gonna have some food and some some fellowship and and you know some prayer and Bible study. We'd love love to see you there," kind of a thing. And you can see how that's an easier, smaller step. Uh, for individuals. So community services, that's another one, especially if your church offers food or clothing or offers some kind of value to the community. Uh, you can make sure that they know about that. Uh, concerts, seminars, church, socials, and then I put evangelistic meetings, but only after you build significant trust. That's my caveat to that one. Um, and so these are just some ideas of some ways that you can identify these pathways for reconnection. The evangelism cycle that we are, are following here in the Oregon Conference and are empowering our churches to follow. Uh, and the idea behind this, again, is that evangelism or discipleship is something that we're always engaged in, one way or the other, with the goal of, of, of inviting people to get to know Jesus, you know, and to encounter Jesus in their lives. Uh, so I have a whole training on this. Uh, that's not what the focus is today, but I want to simply expose you to this idea because it is relevant, I believe, to what we're talking about. Uh, so let me just give you a quick overview and then we'll move on. But so just so you can have an idea of what this is about. So this is six phases and they're paired into three pairs of two that rhyme to make it easier to remember. So you have revitalize, fertilize, sow, grow, reap, keep. So those are the six phases of this evangelism cycle. The revitalized phase is the one that, that sometimes we skip over a lot of times, and that is to make sure that we are, are healthy, that we are really on fire for Jesus, that we're taking time to, to receive uh, you know, the, the love and the peace and the joy from Jesus uh, before we, we go out to, to share. It's that simple concept of you can't share what you don't have. <laughs> and so sometimes when we talk about evangelism, we rush off to, to, to do, we ask, what should we do? And we don't first take the time to ask, well, how are we doing? Uh, and so that's what Revitalize is all about, making sure that we're healthy communities to bring people into. Uh, then Fertilize is really about giving value uh, to the community. Uh, sow is about building friendships. Grow is about uh, adding spiritual value. Of course, reap is about inviting people to make decisions for Jesus. And then keep is about establishing people into faith and community. And the reason that I, I share this briefly is because if your church is following this kind of a, a model where you're always doing something to engage with the community, then that can be a natural way to invite missing members or former members to reconnect and say, hey, we're having this upcoming thing happening or we're going to be giving out food or we're going to be doing this or that. I uh, just want you to be aware of what's going on and hey, you know, we'd love to see you, uh, if you if you can make it out kind of a thing. And so instead of trying to manufacture some uh, you know, or come up with some new ideas, always having something going on just gives you some natural connection points with people. And so that is a good, um, a good way to go. Uh, here's another way to understand it is that everybody has needs, right? Uh, and so this is just one way to visualize that. People have physical needs, people have relational needs, people have spiritual and emotional needs. 
And when, uh, let me ask you this question. Did Jesus, does Jesus care about people's needs? Absolutely, right? And uh, here's a quote you might have already heard or you might hear more during this conference. Uh, It's a a favorite quote of many. Um, But uh, it says that Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. And here's the part I want to highlight. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. And so as we reach out to former and missing members, we can also follow the example of Jesus, right? And so whether we're doing evangelism and reaching people that we've never encountered before, or whether we're trying to, 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 to win back those that have, have strayed, uh, we, can, we can still be thinking about how can we bless others, right? How can we bless them? How can we help meet their needs? And so this evangelism cycle can also be visualized as kind of like the layers of an onion, <laughs> where, again, this is just a different way of looking at it, where you have these different, uh, these different layers really creating a pathway for people to come to Jesus, and that's the, the ultimate goal. And so as people have their, their needs, really, I believe that God desires his, his church to, to be a blessing and to, to help meet the needs of others so that they can uh, enter into a saving relationship with Jesus. And so uh, as you, uh, as the church encounters the different people's needs, uh, they, those needs will be met and, and relationships will, will begin to, uh, to emerge and to flourish in that context. And so as people uh, come and can, into contact with you or with the church, ideally they will experience value. That's the key, right? Remember, Jesus lived to bless others. So receiving value, uh, you know, maybe for their physical needs, whether that's food or, or clothing or whatever they might need, um, financial help, whatever it might be. Uh, and then also for relational needs, they encounter friendship. Uh, and then for spiritual and emotional needs, uh, you know, spirituality, and ultimately to an invitation to, uh, to, to know Jesus and to be in a relationship with Jesus and eventually establish them into faith and community. And so this is just one way of visualizing uh, what I believe is God's ideal when it comes to how we ought to live to bless others, to really meet their needs and to, to facilitate that connection with faith community and ultimately with Jesus. So that's on the note of identifying pathways for reconnection. And now we're getting to the last step. This is where the rubber meets the road. (laughs) And that is the step of reaching out to them. We can talk about it. We can look at it. We can pray over uh, over it. But where the rubber meets the road is actually taking that step to actually reach out to these individuals. So how do we do that? There are different methods of reaching out to people. My favorite, as we were talking about a moment ago, is that in-person visit. That can, that can be a home visit. That could also be in a neutral place, like a restaurant or a cafe. Uh, you know, and so you might reach out to somebody and say, hey, you know, I'd love to take you out to dinner or I'd love to have lunch with you sometime and, uh, and, and work with your treasurer, work with your pastor to, to get a budget even maybe <laughs> to, to, to cover the cost of that. Um, and so you can be, be really treating them, if you will, uh, and that can, can be a great way to connect with, with people. Uh, a phone call, text message, a mailed letter, a social media message, Message. These are all different ways that you can connect with people. Uh, so in person, of course, is my favorite, but there are many different ways to connect with people. And so you want to be thinking about what would be the best way for me to connect with this specific person or with this specific family. If you have 
um, you know, their address or if you have you know, a way to reach out to them, you can uh, ideally uh, try to, to go for an in-person visit. But often these others can be a good starting point as well if somebody um, may not be open to an in-person visit quite yet. Um, and so that's something to think about. Going back to the Mission Insight tool I was telling you about a moment ago, there's another um, feature that this tool has that just blew our minds when we saw what it could do. And it's, it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of crazy. I'll show it to you here. And I tell you this to, with, with some caution, right? Because this tool could be, could be used or abused. <laughs> but uh, work with your pastor on this. Um, but there is a really powerful tool that this uh, software has. So they, they partner with Experian. Do you, you guys know who Experian is? Right? It's a credit reporting company. And Experian, they collect all this data on basically every home in the entire country. So I hate to break it to you, but they're collecting your data too. <laughs> and so they're collecting all this data. And so, so Mission Insight has said, well, they have all this data. We might as well you know, make this available for faith communities to, to be more effectively and to be more intentionally reaching out uh, to, to blessing their communities. And so, uh, so that's exactly what Mission Insight does. But Experian has taken all this data on every home in the entire country, and they have divided it up into 71 groups that they call mosaic groups. So I have to give the disclaimer that we didn't come up with the names of these groups. They're pretty, some of them are pretty, pretty special. <laughs> They're special names, as you can see if you read them on the screen. Uh, but they've come up with 71 uh, groups and so as they've looked at all this data that they've collected, they've been able to identify 71 different groups based on different commonalities. And um, my understanding is that it's going in order roughly of higher income to lower income, uh, but they factor all sorts of other information in to that. And so here, here's the, the rest of the list up to the, the 71 there. Um, and so the reason that this is relevant to what we're talking about is because this tool will actually allow you to see which mosaic group a specific home is, is categorized into. And the reason that that matters is because each of these mosaic groups, Experian gives you a handbook to understand every one of these 71 mosaic groups. So this is an example of the one that's actually the most represented here in Oregon, the Oregon Conference Territory. Um, I know we're in Washington right now, but when I say Oregon, I mean the Oregon Conference Territory. <laughs> uh, it says the digital savvy. Uh, and so young singles who live digitally driven, smaller city lifestyles, uh, we could go through the whole nine yards learning about this specific group of people. But what I really care about the most in this context is what you see here in the top right corner. This is channel preference, but really what this is, is how does this group of people prefer to be communicated with? So this can be relevant when it comes to evangelism, marketing, and planning, and things like that. And I get this question a lot from our pastors. They say, you know, we're, we're going to do an outreach. What should we spend our money on? Should we do a mailing, or should we do social media ads, or what should we do? And I love this because now we can give a contextualized answer and say, hey, which group of people do you guys want to reach, and how do they prefer to be communicated with? And so you can start getting this information about your community, but where it really gets powerful, and this is where I, where I said it kind of blew our minds, is that you can actually pull up, uh, well, I'll show that to you in a minute. This also says uh, you can see the social media use as well. So if you're trying to, to connect with people on social media or, or whatnot, you can see your community and, and which platforms that they, they use. So that can be interesting. Um, but what I wanted to show you is this. This is what blew our minds. So you can actually see on a map, you can, you can have this tool load up 
uh, on a map every home in your community, and you can see, uh, I blurted out for privacy as an example, <laughs> but you, could, you can actually see which mosaic code each home is in. Uh, and then you can see what that, how that mosaic group prefers to be communicated with. So can you see how this could, could inform your strategy when you're looking at how to connect with people? So just kind of a, a tip. Of course, you don't have to use a tool like this, but if you really want to take the time to be thorough uh, and be intentional about the method of communication that you're, uh, you're doing. So for example, the digital savvy back here, their, their top preferred communication is actually text messaging. So that's interesting, isn't it? So if, you're, if you have a missing member or a former member that is maybe in this category, they're a young, young adult that loves, you know, they're very digitally savvy, uh, you might consider texting with them. That could be a potential way to reconnect with them. Uh, and so that's the idea. This is the, other, this is the other number two most represented mosaic group here in the Oregon Conference Territory, uh, and they're kind of the opposite of the digital savvy. They're older, retired uh, individuals, uh, seniors, and things like that. And notice what their preferred method of communication is. It's actually direct mail. So uh, mailing a letter to them might be a good way to go to communicate with, with these individuals. So all, all things to think about in person is not on this list because this is more in the context of marketing and things like that. But I still think that in-person connection is hard to beat. But uh, that gives you some ideas of how, how to connect with people, how to communicate with others. Um, okay, in the last few minutes we have here, I want to, before we open it up for questions, so be thinking about that if you have questions or comments, uh, let's talk about more of the, the nuts and bolts. When you're, you're reaching out, you've decided uh, to reach out and you've decided on a method for that, what do you do, what do you say, especially if it's in person? So here's some ideas. Uh, number one, ask meaningful questions and then listen to understand. That is so key, right? And remember, we talked about building trust. The first uh, element, the first core essential of building trust is understanding. And so taking the time to, to really listen to their journey, understand where they're at in life, how they've been doing, um, you know, just really listening is so key. And I definitely recommend, if you don't already know about it, to learn about skills such as active listening. Do you guys know about active listening? That's where uh, you, know, you can actually repeat back to somebody what they said to you uh, with the goal of making sure you understood what they have to say. So you can say things like, you know, what I hear you saying is such and such, and you're repeating back to them. And if you've never done that before, it can feel kind of awkward or weird at first. You're like, I feel like I'm a parrot just repeating you know, back what they said. But you'll be, you'll be amazed at how much that helps people feel heard and feel understood. And when you repeat back to them, so what I hear you saying is, is, is that you know you you were really hurt when this happened, or whatever it is that they shared with you. Uh, when you repeat back to them what they're telling you, it not only helps them to feel heard and understood, but it also gives them the opportunity to clarify. And like nine times out of ten, when I do this act of listening with someone, the response will usually not only be like, "Yeah, that is what I'm saying," and there's something affirming about people feeling understood, and they'll have this response of like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. That's exactly how I feel. And not only will they respond that way, but it usually uh, kind of triggers a further response of like, yeah, and let me tell you more, you know? <laughs> and so when they feel understood, they're like, yeah, and that also makes me think about this. And so this 
idea of asking meaningful questions and listening to understand this idea of active listening, it's kind of a coaching type of a principle, um, but it can really help facilitate some powerful conversations as people feel understood and as they feel really heard, uh, trust can begin to be built uh, and those, those first steps can start to happen towards rebuilding trust. Uh, okay, number two, be sympathetic with no judgment. Uh, apologize for any hurt that they may have experienced from the church. You might have not been involved at all with whatever was what caused them hurt, but as a representative of the church, as a as a you know somebody who's who's contacted them on behalf of the church, you know it doesn't hurt anything to just say I'm just so sorry that you you were hurt that way. I'm so sorry that you experienced that pain, um, and you know that's that's not okay. And I'm just really want to tell you that that I'm sorry that happened to you. And there's just something as simple as that can really bring someone to tears if they've never heard that before and, and you're the first person to really say something like that. Uh, it can be very meaningful. Uh, so don't, don't be so proud that you can't say sorry, even if it was something that you weren't involved in. <laughs> Does the church make mistakes? Of course, because the church is filled with people and people make mistakes, right? And so it's okay to apologize on behalf of the church for, for wounds that have happened. Uh, okay, number four, consider bringing them a tactful and appropriate gift. So I say appropriate. That's the key one here. Uh, do you think bringing the great controversy is probably the best uh, gift? <laughs> no, I love the great controversy. Don't get me wrong, but that's probably not the most appropriate gift, right? That's just an example. Uh, you know, so what do you think are some ideas of a tactful and appropriate gift that you could bring in a context like this? You know, that would be personal, something that you know they like. Yeah. So, okay. if, if you know them personally, like I can think of a few that love certain things. Okay, there you go. Yeah, if you know they like something, bring something that you know they like. So she she said something that's gold. Well, she said gluten steaks, but food, right? <laughs> food is key. You know, that's a great way. They say that that's the way to, to the heart. It's, it's through the stomach, right? <laughs> and so if, you, uh, if you're a cook or like to bake, you could do that. Uh, or even just buying some food from the store is okay too. Um, you know, otherwise there's also other ideas like a gift card or something that doesn't have a undertone to it that could be triggering to the person, right? If they've experienced a hurt or a wound, um, you don't want to communicate an agenda. And so, you know, books can be okay, but be careful with the message of the book and what that might, that, what that might communicate. Uh, so those are just some things to be thoughtful about. Uh, let's see, what else here? Uh, yeah, let them know that you and the church are here for them if they ever need anything. And again, this goes back to that mission of Jesus. He lived to bless others. And that's your goal is just to let them know, hey, we're here for you. We just want you to know if you ever need anything, let us know. And I tell you, there's so much power in that by itself because sometimes people, they might not be ready. They might not be ready to hear from the church. They might be wounded and so hurt that they just, they just don't want to even think about it. But what can happen as time goes on is, is if some kind of a, of, a, of a trial or a crisis happens. Remember we talked about that? When people go through a time of crisis or trials in their lives, they feel vulnerability. They feel a need for support. And for you to have been there and told them, hey, if you ever need anything, we're here for you. When a church uh, gives value, that's, uh, that, that does spread. It creates trust and people, people talk about that too. Yeah, so just letting them know that you're there and that if they need anything, uh, let you know. That, that's really key. And you might, that's kind of planting a seed for some people. You might not see an immediate harvest from that, but it might be a week, it might be a month, it might be a couple years down the road 
If they go through a, a tough time, they might just reach out. And, and of course, the key is to follow through on that promise, right? And to be able to, to be there and to be a blessing to them in their time of crisis and time of need. Because that's what Jesus would do, right? Okay, uh, let's see. If it's appropriate, and again, that, that's the key word, appropriate. <laughs> invite them to a non-intimidating opportunity for reconnection. Remember how we talked about uh, identifying those, those connection points, those pathways of reconnection, or reconnecting? Uh, and so you can invite them to, to a reconnection point, uh, like a small group or a concert or a church social. Church socials are great uh, places to invite people to, very non-intimidating, non-threatening, especially if it's an event that's not even at the church building. It's somewhere else in someone's home or at someone's property or whatnot. Uh, that can be a great way to invite somebody uh, to that, especially if they're open. And that's the key as you have that conversation with them. Try to get a sense. You know, you can be thinking about those doors, right? You can say, is this a, a U1, U2, U3, U4, U5? Like, which door are we talking about here? You know, is this somebody that's very close, very antagonistic, very like, I don't want to hear it kind of a thing? Or is this somebody that's like, yeah, you know, I really do need to get going back to church, right? And so, so gauge the openness, gauge where they're at in their journey. But especially the more open that door is, the more you may want to be prepared to invite them to something coming up. Yes, read the room. Exactly, read the room, yeah. <laughs> so if somebody's telling you, oh, I don't want to hear it, I've been so hurt and so wounded, and, and that kind of a thing, you think that's the time to invite them to, <laughs> to, to church next Sabbath? <laughs> Probably not, right? <laughs> and so you, you got to be tactful and, and be mindful. And that's why, you know, even the spirit of prophecy says that, that soul winning is a science. It's a whole science to it. And it also highlights, again, our need for being in tune with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can help us to, to know what to say and what to do in the moment. And then number seven, be patient. It takes time to earn to trust, right? Uh, and so it takes time to earn, uh, earn trust with people and you can't expect that, especially if trust has been broken, you can't expect it's gonna get fixed overnight. Oftentimes, uh, I, I, I like to say this, that especially if the trust was broken in a complex way, if the, if the trust was broken in a way where there was even a track record over a long period of time, you can't expect that that's gonna get fixed overnight. You know, you, you need to, to, to have those realistic expectations that, you know, it took a long time for this person's trust to be broken in a very complex way. It may take a long time for this person's trust to be, to be restored and to re be rebuilt uh, in, in, a, in an intentional way. Um, but that doesn't mean we should give up on them, right? It means we just need to be more committed and we need to be, to be more in it for the long haul with these people and to be uh, a consistent presence in their life as much as they are comfortable with us uh, doing so with the goal, of course, of, of blessing them. Okay, here are some ideas of what to say when you're engaging. And again, this is not an exhaustive list, but things like, you know, we've missed you or, you know, we've been thinking about you. Uh, we want you to know that we're here for you if you ever need anything. Those are some of the ideas we've talked about already. When it comes to questions, you can simply ask things like, you know, how have you been doing? How have you been? Uh, you know, how can we serve you? Or how can we pray for you? Uh, again, these are all questions that communicate that idea of that we just, we're here to bless you. We just want to give value to you any way we can. We're not here with an agenda to try to get you back to church right away. You know, we just want you to know that we're here, that we love you, we care for you. And so anything you can say or any question that you can ask that communicates that idea, again, that's, that's following the example of Jesus. You are really sharing the heart of Jesus, right? When you say these things and when you, when you ask these questions, that's really the goal. And then again, if appropriate, that's that last one of, you know, we'd love to see you at this upcoming event. 
Uh, and that, again, it's not a pressure. You know, you don't want to pressure them, and, and I'll get to that in a moment of what not to do. <laughs> but, it, you know, you can invite people to something in a way that's very winsome. It's very relational. It's very non-threatening, non-pressuring. And that's one way to do it. It's just say, you know what, we have this thing coming up. I just want you to know about it. Uh, you know, we'd love to see you. If you, if you can make it, it'd be great to see you uh, at that event. Um, and so that can be a great opportunity uh, where uh, you, you make that call to action, but it doesn't have to be in a very high pressure way. Okay, what not to do or say, I'm sure some of you could add to this list as well, <laughs> but you know, don't judge them or guilt them. Uh, don't make them feel bad for not engaging with the church. Don't ask questions like, where have you been? Or don't say things like, oh, don't be a stranger. Or, you know, what's taking you so long? And, and I, I say this because I've seen this happen. And this is so important uh, where often our dear saints <laughs> have a pure motive. Maybe, you know, they, they want to see the people reconnecting and maybe their heart's in the right place. But what they say, it comes across in a way that's, that has an undertone to it or, or ends up being more harmful than helpful. And I've actually been on the receiving end of this where I've been part of, you know, of a church that I used to help out a lot. And then, uh, then you know, my duties took me away. And then I went back to visit and there was this tone of like, you know, where have you been? And, you know, don't be a stranger and that kind of a thing. And even though I know what they were trying to say is, hey, we missed you and we kind of wish you would have been more involved. You know, it came across as like, wow, these people really, you know, I left feeling like, the opposite of what I think they wanted me to feel, you know? <laughs> and so we need to keep that in mind. The way that we communicate really matters. We want people to, uh, to really feel loved and, and not guilted, right? <laughs> uh, and so that's key. There's really a need for us to be training our, our greeters, training our, even our elders, training the caregivers, you know, especially in the context of remember that number one thing that people said is uh, having a warm and friendly encounter, right? Uh, and so that's key, whether they're reconnecting with church or whether you're in their home, we want to make sure that people feel warm and, and friendly uh, with, with you. We have to be careful when we even say, how can I pray for you? Because uh, people that have experienced trauma, especially, can be very triggered by some of these things. I actually noticed that uh, the other week I was talking to somebody that has been wounded by the church. And I said, you know, I'm going to be praying for you as she told me her story. And she said, you know, we had built enough trust where she was really open with me. She says... Actually, you know, I would appreciate it if you didn't say that. You could say, I'll talk to Jesus, you know, about, about it. But even just the idea of saying about prayer was actually triggering to her because of the woundedness that she'd experienced. And I think it goes into what you're saying. Sometimes if we're not careful, we have a mentality of, you know, we at least communicate, even if we don't mean to, that, oh, I'm this, you know, I'm, I'm connected to God and you're not. So I'm here to pray for you. Yeah. And so we want to make sure that in our attitude and the way that we communicate, it's not us and them. It's not we're better than them. Uh, it's, you know, we're in this together, you know. And that's why I love that. I love that uh, quote about evangelism, that evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. <laughs> and so we got to keep that in mind, that we're not better than, you know, anyone. We need Jesus just as much as anyone does. And so uh, to keep that in our, in our attitude as we connect with people. Uh, don't be shocked no matter what you hear. <laughs> Sometimes, especially if these are people that, that have been disconnected, disconnected with church for a while. They might say things or do things that, especially if you live in, in your little Adventist bubble, you know, <laughs> you maybe haven't been exposed to. Uh, you might be startled, uh, but try not to, to show that. Try not to, to, to respond that way because that can also be um, hurtful to, to people. Uh, don't minimize any problems they bring up. And so again, this goes back to that conversation we were having about emotional maturity and things like that. Don't get defensive about issues they confront you with. 
If you're dealing with somebody that's been wounded and been hurt by the church or by somebody in the church and you come to reconnect with them and, and they, just, they just let you have it. You, know? <laughs> you need to be prepared for that. That can happen. Uh, and, it's not, and don't take it personally. It might not be against you, but they've experienced hurt and pain and they need to let that out. And, uh, and so don't, don't get defensive. That's like one of the worst things that you can do uh, if somebody... Yes, exactly. Validating them, uh, listening to them to understand them, these things that we're talking about. You can see how these are totally opposite ways of responding uh, to someone's hurt and pain. Um, and then the last one here, don't pressure them to engage with church. We kind of talked about that already. Uh, and so the last thing I'll share with you here before we open it up for, for more questions and comments is going back to that book, Trust. It says the alternative to owning and sincerely apologizing for hurting someone is to say it's not my fault in some way. This may take the form of various avoidance of responsibility defenses. And so there's a list that this book actually gives of different avoidance of responsibility defenses that might be triggered if we're being confronted or if somebody's been hurt or wounded and we start to take that personally. Uh, and here's the list. Things like denial, lying, gaslighting. Uh, do you know what gaslighting is? Uh, yeah, gaslighting is like when something happened, but you pretend it didn't happen or you say it never happened and that kind of a thing. Uh, okay, blame, excusing, minimizing. Uh, you're minimizing it's like, oh, it's really not that bad or you just need to be, get over it or you need to be more thankful or it could be worse, right? Those are the kinds of things that you don't want to say. <laughs> um, yeah, excusing, that kind of a thing. Uh, rationalization, invalidating, uh, entitled to someone else taking responsibility for the problem. So again, that's kind of along the same vein as like blame shifting uh, and a projection. So these are all things you don't want to do, right? <laughs> uh, because that ends up being more hurtful than helpful. And that's what Henry Cloud says. He says, any of these behaviors make moving on difficult. The best option becomes we'll have to agree to disagree, which doesn't get you very far in the context of a true betrayal. Uh, so these are just things to think about as far as, and I hope it was helpful in the amount of time that we've had today. Uh, you know, we can't cover everything, but I tried to at least give you uh, a, a starting point, some, some helpful ideas to get you started. So again, just to quickly review, number one, uh, discover who are the missing members, take the time to look over the names, uh, get your team together, uh, you know, ask why they have left. Um, pray over the names, identify pathways for reconnection, especially non-intimidating uh, connection points, and then reach out to them and do it in a winsome way with the motive of seeking to bless them and to share God's love with them. At the Propel Conference, we put a special emphasis on the practice of reflection. And as you listened to Tim Taylor speak, what was the big idea for you? How will you apply this in your own situation, your own ministry context? And when this episode finishes in another minute or so, I encourage you just to pause for five or 10 or even 15 minutes and just let your mind wander. It can really help you integrate this and can be a really powerful reflection time. Okay, that's it for this episode. We'd love to hear from you. You can shoot us an email at podcast at propelconference.org. And please mark your calendars for the next Propel Conference coming back to Vancouver, Washington, April 28 to May 1. Head on over to propelconference.org right now and register a group from your church. Special thanks to Tim Taylor for speaking at the Propel Conference this year and to Interest Tracker for sponsoring this episode. This has been the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. The Propel Podcast is sponsored by the North Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, 
The event recording services were provided by Adventist Learning Community, and the podcast is produced by the crew at Sermon View Evangelism Marketing. I'm Larry Witzel, wishing you God's richest blessing in your own evangelistic journey. Please join us again next time for another episode of The Propel Podcast.